0: Okay, hello, Kurt Vonnegut, Bluebeard, picking up episode three. Readers, if you remember, we ended the last little section in the middle of chapter two with our narrator pleading for help about one soon-to-be infamous Circe Berman. Let's continue. She is a widow. Her husband was a brain surgeon in Baltimore, where she still has a house as big and empty as this one. Her husband Abe died of a brain hemorrhage six months ago. She is 43 years old, and she has selected this house as a nice place to live and work while she writes her husband's biography. There is nothing erotic about our relationship. I am 28 years Miss Berman's senior, and I've become too ugly for anyone but a dog to love. I really do look like a gut-shot iguana, "'and am one-eyed besides. Enough is enough. "'Here's how we met. "'She wandered onto my private beach alone one afternoon, "'not knowing it was private. "'She had never heard of me since she hates modern art. "'She didn't know a soul in the Hamptons "'and was staying in the Maidstone Inn "'in the village about a mile and a half from here. "'She had walked from there to the public beach "'and then across my border. "'I went down for my afternoon dip, "'and there she was, fully dressed, and doing what Paul Slaesinger does much of, sitting on sand and staring out to sea. The only reason I minded her being there, or anybody's being there, was my ludicrous physique and the fact I would have to take off my eye patch before I went in. There was quite a mess under there, not unlike a scrambled egg. I was embarrassed to be seen up close. Paul Slaesinger says, incidentally, that the human condition can be summed up in just one word, and this is the word... Embarrassment. So I elected not to swim, but to sunbathe some distance away from her. I did, however, come close enough to say, Hello. This was her curious reply. Tell me how your parents died. What a spooky woman! She could be a witch. Who but a witch could have persuaded me to write my autobiography? She has just stuck her head in the room to say that it was time I went to New York City, where I haven't been since Edith died. I've hardly been out of this house since Edith died. New York City, here I come. This is terrible. Tell me how your parents died, she said. I couldn't believe my ears. I beg your pardon, I said. What good is hello, she said. She had stopped me in my tracks. I've always thought it was better than nothing, I said, but I could be wrong. What does hello mean, she said. And I said I had always understood it to mean hello. Well, it doesn't, she said. It means don't talk about anything important. It means I'm smiling but not listening, so just go away. She went on to avow that she was tired of just pretending to meet people. So sit down here, she said, and tell Mama how your parents died. Tell Mama? Can you beat it? She had straight black hair and large brown eyes like my mother, but she was much taller than my mother and a little bit taller than me for that matter. She was also much shapelier than my mother, who let herself become quite heavy and who didn't care much what her hair looked like either, or her clothes. Mother didn't care because father didn't care. And I told Mrs. Berman this about my mother. She died when I was 12 of a tetanus infection she evidently picked up while working in a cannery in California. The cannery was built on the site of an old livery stable, and tetanus bacteria often colonize the intestines of horses without hurting them, and then become durable spores, armored little seeds when excreted. One of them, lurking in the dirt, around and under the cannery, was somehow exhumed and sent traveling. After a long, long sleep, it awakened in paradise, something we would all like to do. Paradise was a cut in my mother's hand. "'So long, Mama,' said Sir Sperman." There was that word, Mama, again. At least she didn't have to endure the Great Depression, which was only one year away, I said. And at least she didn't have to see her only child come home a cyclops from World War II. And how did your father die, she said. In the Bijou Theater in San Ignacio in 1938, I said. He went to the movie alone. He never even considered remarrying. (coughs) He still lived over the little store in California where he had got his first foothold in the economy of the United States of America. I had been living in Manhattan for five years then and was working as an artist for an advertising agency. When the movie was over, the lights came on and everybody went home but Father. What was the movie, she asked. And I said, Captain's Courageous, starring Spencer Tracy and Freddie Bartholomew. What Father might have made of that movie which was about cod fishermen in the North Atlantic, God only knows. Maybe he didn't see any of it before he died. If he did see some of it, he must have gotten rueful satisfaction from it having absolutely nothing to do with anything he had ever seen or anybody he had ever known. He welcomed all proofs that the planet he had known and loved during his boyhood had disappeared entirely. That was his way of honoring all the friends and relatives he had lost in the massacre. You could say that he became his own Turk over here, knocking himself down and spitting on himself. He could have studied English and become a respected teacher there in San Ignacio and started writing poetry again, or maybe translated the Armenian poets he loved so much into English. But that wasn't humiliating enough. Nothing would do but that he, with all his education, become what his father and grandfather had been, which was a cobbler. He was good at that craft, which he had learned as a boy, and which I would learn as a boy, but how he complained. At least he pitied himself in Armenian, which only mother and I could understand. There weren't any other Armenians within a hundred miles of San Ignacio. I am looking for William Shakespeare, your greatest poet, he might say as he worked. Have you ever heard of him? He knew Shakespeare backwards and forwards in Armenian and would often quote him. To be or not to be, for example, as far as he was concerned, was Linel Kam Klinel. Tear out my tongue if you catch me speaking Armenian, he might say. That was the penalty the Turks set in the 17th century for speaking any language but Turkish, a ripped-out tongue. Who are these people and what am I doing here, he might say, with cowboys and Chinese and Indians passing by outside. When is San Ignacio going to erect a statue of Mesra Mashtots, he might say. Mesra Mashtots was the inventor of the Armenian alphabet, unlike any other about 400 years before the birth of Christ. Armenians, incidentally, were the first people to make Christianity their national religion. One million, one million, one million, he might say. This is the generally accepted figure for the number of Armenians killed by the Turks in the massacre from which my parents escaped. That was two-thirds of Turkey's Armenians and about half the Armenians in the whole wide world. There are about six million of us now, including my two sons and three grandchildren, who know nothing and care nothing about Mesrab Mushtats. Musadag. he might say, this was the name of a place in Turkey where a small band of Armenian civilians fought Turkish militiamen to a standstill for 40 days and 40 nights before being exterminated. About the time my parents, with me and my mother's belly, arrived safe and sound in San Ignacio. Thank you, Vartan Mamogonian, he might say. This was the name of a great Armenian national hero who led a losing army against the Persians in the fifth century. The Vartan Mamogonian father had in mind, however, was an Armenian shoe manufacturer in Cairo, Egypt, to which polyglot metropolis my parents escaped after the massacre. It was he, a survivor of an earlier massacre, who persuaded my naive parents who had met on a road to Cairo that they would find the streets paved with gold if only they could find their way to, of all places, San Ignacio, California. But that is a story I will tell at another time. If anybody has discovered what life is all about, Father might say, it is too late. I am no longer interested. Never has heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day, he might say. These, of course, are words from the American song Home on the Range, which he had translated into Armenian. He found them idiotic. Tolstoy made shoes, he might say. That was a fact, of course. The greatest of Russian writers and idealists had, in an effort to do work that mattered, made shoes for a little while. May I say that I, too, could make shoes, if I had to. Sirs Berman says she can make pants if she has to. As she would tell me when we met on the beach, Her father had a pants factory in Lackawanna, New York, until he went bankrupt and hanged himself. If my father had managed to survive Captains Courageous, starring Spencer Tracy and Freddie Bartholomew, and I had lived to see the paintings I did after the war, several of which drew serious critical attention, and a few of which I sold for what was quite a bit of money back then, he surely would have been among the great American majority which snorted and jeered at them. He wouldn't have razzed just me, he would have razzed my abstract expressionist pals too, Jackson Pollock and Mark Rothko and Terry Kitchen and so on. Painters who are now, unlike myself, acknowledged to be some of the most brilliant artists ever to have been produced not just by the United States, but by the whole damn world. But what sticks in my mind like a thorn now, and I haven't thought about this for years, he would have had no hesitation in razzing his own son and razzing me. So thanks to the conversation Mrs. Berman struck up with me on the beach only two weeks ago, I am in a frenzy of adolescent resentment against my father, who was buried almost 50 years ago. Let me off this hellish time machine. But there is no getting off this hellish time machine. I have to think now, even though it is the last I would ever want to think about it, if I had a choice, that my own father would have laughed as hard as anybody when my paintings... Thanks to unforeseen chemical reactions between the sizing of my canvases and the acrylic wall paint and colored tapes I had applied to them, all destroyed themselves. I mean, people who had paid 15 or 20 or even $30,000 for a picture of mine found themselves gazing at a blank canvas, all ready for a new picture and ringlets of colored tapes and what looked like moldy cri- Rice Krispies on the floor. It was a post war miracle that did me in. I had better explain to my young readers, if any, that the Second World War had many of the promised characteristics of Armageddon, a final war between good and evil, so that nothing would do but that it be followed by miracles. Instant coffee was one. DDT was another. It was going to kill all the bugs, and almost did. Nuclear energy was going to make electricity so cheap that it might, even, might not even be metered. It would also make another war unthinkable. Talk about loaves and fishes. Antibiotics would defeat all diseases. Lazarus would never die. How was that for a scheme to make the Son of God obsolete? Yes, and there were miraculous breakfast foods, and would soon be helicopters for every family. There were miraculous new fibers, which could be washed in cold water and need no ironing afterwards. Talk about a war well well worth fighting. During that war, we had a word for extreme man-made disorder, which was FUBAR, an acronym for Fucked Up Beyond All Recognition. Well, the whole planet is now FUBAR, with post-war miracles, but back in the early 1960s, I was one of the first persons to be totally wrecked by one, an acrylic wall paint whose colors, according to advertisements of the day, would outlive the smile on the Mona Lisa. The name of the paint was Sateen Doralux. Mona Lisa is still smiling, and your local paint dealer if he had been in the business any length of the time, will laugh in your face if you ask for sateen door locks. Your father had the survivor syndrome, said Sir Sperman to me one, uh, on the beach that day. He was ashamed not to be dead like all his friends and relatives. He was ashamed that I wasn't dead too, I said. Think of it as a noble emotion gone wrong, she said. He was a very upsetting father, I said. I'm sorry now that you've made me remember him. As long as, we, as long as we brought him back, she said, why don't you forgive him now? I've done it a hundred times already, I said. This time I'm going to be smart and get a receipt. I went on to assert that mother was more entitled to survivor syndrome than father, since she had been right in the middle of the killing, pretending to be dead with people lying on top of her and with screams and blood everywhere. She wasn't all that much older than the cook's daughter, Celeste. While Mother was lying there, she was looking right into the face of the corpse of an old woman who had no teeth, only inches away. The old woman's mouth was open, and inside it, and on the ground below it, was a fortune in unset jewels. If it weren't for those jewels, I told Miss Berman, I would not be a citizen of this great country and would be in no position to tell you that you are now trespassing on my private property. That's my house there, on the other side of the dunes. Would you be offended if a lonely and harmless old widower invited you thence for a drink?" if you drink, and then supper with an equally harmless old friend of mine, I meant Paul Sleisinger. She accepted, and after supper I heard myself saying, if you'd rather stay here instead of the inn, you're certainly welcome, and I made her the same guarantee I made many times to Sleisinger, I promise not to bother you. So let's be honest. I said a little earlier that I had no idea how she had come to share this house with me. Let's be honest. I invited her. Okay, my friends, that is the end of chapter two. Apologies for uh, some of my bungled pronunciation of uh, Armenian words there. Um, I welcome corrections. And uh, I look forward to also kind of opening up some of the future uh, episodes here to uh, talking a little bit about the book and um, getting some of your thoughts as well. Okay, until next time, my friends. We will be attacking chapter three once we meet again. Signing off, this is the management. Onward.